Drive Time edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Uh, for all those that are celebrating, whatever it may be, it's a weekend full of holidays. All the best to you and yours, uh, celebrating with friends and family. But it's also opening weekend for the NBA postseason, and specifically for those listening to this show, to this station, in this market, uh, whether it be in the GTA or wherever you might be tuned in across the globe, whether it be live or on the podcast. We're talking Toronto Raptors getting set, Jonesy, for game one against the 76ers coming up on Saturday. And uh, a chance for the Raptors to uh, do it again to Philly. Uh, the two times that these two teams have faced each other in past, it's both gone to seven games with each team winning one. Philly back on graduation day for Vince Carter back in the early 2000s. And, of course, just a few years ago with the uh, four banker uh, as it bopped around the rim and fell down for Kawhi Leonard. And the Raptors move on to the Eastern Conference Finals and ultimately the NBA Finals and their first ever championship. So we're going to do it again against Joel Embiid and the Sixers as the Raptors get set for Game 1. You can hear it right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan, 6 o'clock uh, tip-off against the Sixers. And, man, it is going to be fun because this is going to be, as uh, Nick Nurse called it the other day, Jonesy, a slugfest. And I think it will be one of those series that's going to go down to six, seven games. And take your pick. Pick your side. I hear you, E. And for those listening, uh, do not adjust your radio, right? It's... It's 22 to four, and rather than burn another starter, they brought in Smith and Jones from the bullpen to, <laughs> to to finish out the game and not let anybody else take any any shots on their ERA or whatever. And uh, yeah, yeah, here here we are, here we are. And uh, to your point, E, it is going to be a slugfest. It is going to be, uh, you know, people people talking about, oh, it's going to be a quick series. This is at least six, at least six, and it would not surprise me to see it go to seven and as you said the last time these two teams met it was even for six games and 47 minutes and 54 seconds right until Kawhi hits that shot like it's it, it it's going to be uh, Nick's words are great it, it, it is going to be uh, a slugfest it is going to be uh, a great series and I I'm heavily anticipating the moves that will be made uh, on both sides okay so let, let let me ask you then what moves like what what moves do you think will be made more than any because the question that's been asked quite a bit and I think it's 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 a good one at the very least a very justified one is how much will this series come down to what Joel Embiid does or doesn't do how do the Raptors thus neutralize Embiid but I might flip the script Jonesy and talk about what do the Sixers do to slow down, stop, contain, neutralize Pascal Siakam and his ability to not only get to the tin, but in my opinion, I don't know if you agree, but to include people better perhaps than what Embiid does. And, and I don't know if that automatically makes Pascal the best player, the better player, Toronto the better team, the best team. But I think going into this, I like Toronto's chances because I think they have a more balanced team a more unselfish team, and I think they have a more willing um, core overall, but a more willing star in terms of willing to give it up and not just have to take over, but can still take over if need be. E, you know me. You know how I do it. And with all the p numbers, people looking at analytics and, and, and breaking down all the numbers, hey, man, that's great. 
But before the numbers, it, it's not a chicken or egg thing with me, which came first, the numbers or the eye test. The eye test is what it's all about. And if we were playing in the schoolyard and we lined up both guys on each team, you'd end up picking more Raptors than, than Sixers. Like, I think the first pick would be Embiid. I think the next pick would be Pascal. Who's the next pick after that? Is it James Harden, the way he's playing? Or is it Fred Van Vliet? Or is it hmm. Scotty Barnes? Or right. is it like 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 I think you're you're picking a Raptor next? Is it Gary Trent Jr.? And then okay, so say you take Harden, then for sure the next couple guys are Raptors. And then like do you take Tyrese Maxey? Maybe, but don't forget you've still got uh, you know any of the other Raptors guys that you didn't pick, like we said, Trent Jr. OG Ananobi. Like, I, I just think Toronto has, uh, as you said, a w more well-rounded team right now. Not to mention Toronto has an identity to which they have played to all year. And a playoffs always come down to the first team that loses their identity or their personality and tries to do something, loses the game. And, and I asked Thad Young about it the other day at practice. And I said, can you... Do you know when a team's about to crack? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I've been on both sides. I've been on that team where things are falling apart and you're, you're cracking and, and what you're doing isn't working and you go rogue and now you're trying to do something you've never done before and it's lights out. And I've been on that side where you, are, you can see them splintering and fracturing and this is the time to put their, your foot on their throat and that can last for a game it can eventually turn the series. So I think Toronto has an advantage because they have a personality. They have a certain way to play. Philadelphia, I think, is still searching for some of that since the trade. They were great before the trade because you knew things went through Joel. And you had, even with no Ben Simmons, you had Drummond backing him up. You had Seth Curry making shots. Everybody had a, the, the roles were more defined than they are now. So I, I think there's some pressure there on on Philadelphia to, you know, to find themselves uh, against a team that, and look, people will say, well, Toronto stuff is the easiest stuff to take away in the playoffs, the transition. And the, yeah, it might be, but if they do it well, it's like the weather. You, you know, it's coming. You're just going to have to survive it. it you, you're not going to be able to stop it. I mean, everybody knew Michael Jordan was getting the ball at the end of the game. Could you stop it? No. So mm -hmm. I think playing to your identity and playing to your personality is huge. I'm looking at a picture right now. I'm, I'm, I'm staring at it. In fact, I've referenced this photo with you on our show before. Kawhi's game-winning shot. There's mm -hmm. Embiid in the corner contesting the shot. Kawhi has just released it from his hands. He's in the corner right in front of his own bench. And who's on the floor? Ben Simmons, gone. Jimmy Butler, gone. Well, for what it's worth, no disrespect, James Ennis, gone. For the Raptors, the man taking the shot, Kawhi, gone. Gasol, gone. Abaka, gone. Those are the, 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 the seven people, excuse me, eight people that are in the picture. The only ones remaining on their respective teams, at least in that photo. I'm not including the dudes on the bench. I'm talking about the guys on the floor, Harris and Embiid. To your point, though, Jonesy, I think the identity of the Sixers from that team to this team is completely different, and yet, to your point, we still don't necessarily know 
what the identity is of this current Sixers team since the acquisition of Harden. But even though the principles are different from Toronto's team, I would argue that the identity is either the same or very similar. They might play differently. They certainly have different parts. But what they're about and how they ultimately play, the unselfishness, the all-for-one, one-for-all, etc. As much as they had Kawhi, they wouldn't have got to where they did without Lowry, without Van Vliet, without Siakam, without those performances, without Danny Green in some of those games, certainly without Marc Gasol. And I look at this team, and I think, yes, as good as Siakam is, with no disrespect to Pascal, I don't know that I'm putting on Kawhi level at this point in terms of impact, but he's been pretty damn good for two months. But it's also... You could be beat on any given night by OG or by Fred or by Trent or by Scotty. There's so many different guys and the way that they all pull for one another and at least seem to say and even play with that type of mantra where I don't care, Jonesy, if I get five and seven tonight and you go off for 35 and 10, did we win the game? And I think that mentality, that personality is similar from 2019 to this year. Do you agree? Absolutely. Uh, and that's what makes them a dangerous team. Uh, they play for the guy beside them. They, they don't care about who gets the credit. It's about getting the win. It was interesting uh, when I asked Fred at practice the other day about, um, you know, the whistle and how Pascal is playing through the whistle because the whistle changes in the playoffs. And, you know, Pascal was basically in playoff mode, bouncing off people, getting into the lane, getting hit, playing through contact. And Fred unabashedly and openly said, well, when your best player's doing it, uh, everybody else should take note. I'm not going to get calls either. Uh, he outright called Pascal the best player. Uh, I mean, there could be an argument for Fred and the way Fred carried the team at the beginning of the year when Pascal was out. No doubt Pascal's playing better than anybody else now. But, I mean, that's the mentality, right? And, and Fred just showed it there from a guy who's your leader. Uh, and, and he got that from Kyle when Kyle used to call Pascal the best player and, and, and you know, give uh, respect to Fred. So they're a dangerous team, E, because they play for one another. Um, they believe in what their coach, talk about buy-in, a total belief in what Nick Nurse has for schemes, systems, and the way they're to play. Chris Boucher said it yesterday at practice, he said, Nick's got some stuff we don't even know. We just kind of figure it out as we're going. But they believe them. They'll, 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 they'll hop the wall. They'll run through it. They'll go under it. Whatever he says, they'll, they'll, they're willing to buy in. And that's what makes them a close group with an identity. And it's going to make them a tough out. You know, and you brought up earlier, too, um, the fact that the trade went down. And I still, I'll, I'll, like, I, you know, I don't think I'm the only one that felt this way. I still stand by the fact that Philly absolutely should make the trade and agreed that they did make the trade when it ultimately went down. I think that their moment in time, this window to win with Joel Embiid, it's now, and if you've got a chance to acquire a guy like uh, James Harden, you go do it. And the fact that they were able to make that trade without giving up their best young piece or pieces, but specifically in Tyrese Maxey, I think was a shrewd move. It's going to cost them a lot of money. James Harden makes a ton, but it didn't necessarily cost them a ton or so we thought in terms of players. But I wonder right now, Jonesy, to go back to what you said a couple of minutes ago, what this team would look like, and we'll never know, but they were playing pretty damn well this season 
with Embiid as the anchor, the go-to guy, with weapons spread around him, with good role players put around him, even without Ben Simmons? And how much different might this team look going into the playoffs with that same squad where you've got shooters in the corner in Curry, Seth, of course, and Danny Green with a backup in Andre Drummond where you could even go ultra big and maybe even start both of them, but you've got Tobias Harris still there. You've got Maxi. You look at what they gave up to get what they got, and Harden has been good but not great, and I just wonder, can he get that uptick now in the playoffs where he has historically struggled at times? He might be putting up good numbers in terms of assists and rebounds, but his scoring percentages, let alone his scoring totals, have not been good. And if he suddenly starts scoring more, is that going to take away from Embiid? And does that maybe play into the Raptors' hands where let James Harden beat us, but we're going to find a way to neutralize Joel Embiid? And I think that would have been harder with more shooters on the floor. I'm not sure that Philly has the weapons overall. Yeah, uh, look, James Harden was at his best on his own when he was scoring and occasionally getting other people involved. If he's going to do that in Philadelphia and, and Embiid is one of the occasionally get involved, then I, 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 don't, I don't think Philadelphia can win the series that way. I really think you have to play through both of them. And, you know, that's the great question. How has their chemistry, uh, how is it going to be defined? How is it, has it been established uh, since the trade? And, you know, for a lot of people, I, I'm reading a lot of stuff and hearing a lot of stuff and people talking about, Oh, the Raptors digging down on Embiid in the post. Like, this is not Doc Rivers' first birthday party. Like, if you look at the last couple of games that Toronto played Philadelphia, even though Embiid had six turnovers in the two games, five in one game, um, shot 16 for 46 or something like that, he, they're playing him the way the Raptors are using Pascal Siakam. Top of the key, top of the three-point arc, straight away. And basically, he's looking at a team picture of the defense, but the doubles aren't coming at him when he's in the low post and he spins to the baseline and people are coming from the baseline side and, and, and trapping him or, or uh, you know, coming across to double-team him and, and taking away his time and space and forcing him. Doc Rivers is going to, like, he watches film too. Like, people who think that, oh, you know, that it's going to be easy to double-team and beat. No, they're, they're going to do stuff to try and free him up. And if the other guys start making plays, then you got to pay attention to them. And that's going to give Embiid a little bit more room to roam. And I, I just, again, I go back to the personality thing. Toronto's got to stick to their personality. Force turnovers. Try and get out in transition. Get easy shots. And people will say, uh, you know, our next guest is a guy who's been in the playoffs, Alvin Williams. It's, that's the easiest thing to take away. But can you take it away from a team that has been doing it all year? It's easy to say, much harder to do. Okay, you mentioned Alvin Williams is coming on. I, I, I did a podcast earlier this week where they, where they, where they had like a, a personalized, like a, like a, a kind of a build-up Jonesy for the guest. So I tried to do this today for Alvin. I tried to, you know, write this personalized or come up with this uh -oh. personalized, you know, intro. So I don't you know actually if this is put work something on paper. You actually well, put something. Uh, no, on paper? it's in. I, I put oh. it in my brain. I put it in oh, my okay. brain because you know me. I, I don't do good with pen to paper. So it, it, no, I, I'm I've going never on memorization here. 
No, you handle huh? you handle a, you handle a pen the way uh, the way uh, you know the the way you handle a golf club. Like not very skilled, Pretty much. man. No, I'm really not. not I'm really not. And skilled. I still I still I still print like an eight year old to this day. I I, I couldn't <laughs> even tell you how like cursive. I I'm done. I'm done. So Some, so Jonesy, somewhere you're. Somewhere your mother, the teacher, is just rolling over that her son oh. doesn't hold a pen properly, and like it's thousand percent, it's killing yeah. her. It's killing her. No, no, but I'm good with my brain. So this, so this is what I was thinking. We we've had Alvin Williams Wednesdays, had that for a long time. Then last week we had weekend or weekends with Williams, and now it's time for Philly born Fridays. But it's Philly born Fridays for a guy. He may hate the city and he may loathe the fans, but he still reps the PA for all the Nova stands. It's Alvin Ooh. Williams. It's Alvin Williams on Philly Born Fridays. Alvin, what's going on? What's what's going on, guys? How are you? All good, Al. All good, man. Ready? Playoff time, baby. Rub those hands together. Let's crank it up, man. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Best <laughs> time of the year. It is. It is. So, Al, let me ask you this. It's it's obvious that we can talk Embiid and Siakam, and we will. Put those two guys aside. The X factor for the Raptors will be blank. The X factor for the Sixers will be blank. Fill those blanks in for me. Man, that's 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 a good one. That's a good one. I, I think when you talk about an X factor, I think a Gary Trent Jr. Mm. Um, for the Raptors because of his shot making ability, and he is one of those guys that can go get you a shot, and you're not necessarily game planning on structuring your defense, if you're the Sixers, structuring your defense around stopping him, but there's going to be situations where he has one-on-one opportunities and if he has that ability to make those shots at an efficient level, it's going to be it's going to be tough because we've seen him string, string 30-point games and we've seen him make big-time buckets. We've seen him make big-time free throws at the end of games, so I think with that ability, with him being, if have some consistent play on that side, I think he's that guy that you can see. Because in the playoffs, there's always that one person that steps mm-hmm. up, that steps up that, that people really don't, you know, there's not on a, not, not to say they're not on a scouting report, but they step up and they impact the series all the way through. So I think for that person, is for the Sixers. The other person, I mean, for the Raptors. The other person for the Sixers, I would say, um, Maxi, I, I would yeah. say I would say Maxi on his side because he's a player just like Gary Trent Jr. That they're electrifying, they can score in bunches, and and they play at a great pace. So I, I think those guys, Tyrese Maxi and uh, and Gary Trent Jr. would be guys that that could be the uh, X factors. Uh, Al, I agree. I agree with Maxi. I was, uh, you know, Gary Trent Jr. is a good one. I was thinking about Scotty too, as a young guy, his first playoffs. You kind of like. It's not the regular season. It's not a Wednesday night in in January. It's not a it's not a yep. Friday night in March. It's it's playoffs, and you're staring at the same guy for, you know, ten days to two weeks. He's young. It's a new experience for him. All the regular season stuff doesn't matter right now, and, and so it's it's the first one for Gary too, really, in that sense, with playing a prominent role. But I thought Scotty might be that guy, and I I definitely agree with, uh, you know, with Tyrese Maxey, especially if. They can't get anything out of Harden or Embiid, um, but but Al, like the, the thing that I wanted to ask you was about people are writing and talking about the series 
like things are going to go a certain way. Oh, well, you know, the Raptors, you know, they'll, they'll dig down and double Embiid in the post. Embiid hasn't been, you know, Fred said it the other day. He's, he's working out top. He's handling the ball. He's looking at the defense. So, like, if you're, if you're Nick, you've got, you've got all kinds of plans. What if he goes down low on occasion? But what if he plays out top more so? Like, you've, you've got to have four or five different things depending on what they do. And then you've, I still think one of the best ways to, to put a guy in trouble and compromise him is to go at him. Everybody talks about offense, but you've got to play the other end too, Al. Yeah, no, for sure. You've got to put pressure on him from that standpoint, have him guard. And that's, that's, he can't hide from that, right? He can't hide because of the Raptors, their style, and the ball movement and the dribble handoffs. And, you know, today's NBA, there's a lot of switching. So there's, there's going to be a lot of opportunities where, you know, back in the day it was put a shack in a pick and roll because it would, he would have to hedge or you have to double team. He's away from the basket. But today's NBA, they negate that by just switching everything and just having that one-on-one opportunity. And you definitely have to find matchups and things like that where you could put him in that compromising position on the, off, on the defensive end from his side. But on the, on the offensive end, if you're, if you're Embiid, he's one of those guys that he has so much ability from the perimeter and the inside that it's, it's difficult. You're not going to just throw one defense. You're not going to just trap him. You're not going to switch. You're not, you have to give him different looks. And I think one thing that the Raptors can do is give him different looks, whether it's a double team early, whether it's a double team late, whether it's just zoning it up, and just making him uncomfortable, never letting him relax. And the one thing you will see about Joel Embiid, as the game goes, he'll start drifting. Mm-hmm. He'll drift in the perimeter. He'll, he won't really solidify his spot down low. And it comes from him having that ability, but also not having that discipline from an off, not just from him, just from an offensive standpoint. And he'll drift. So hopefully he's not making those shots in the perimeter shots. And I think if you are a Nick Nurse, you're more comfortable with him away from the basket on the offensive side than you are with him dominating down low. Speaking with Alvin Williams, Raptors Sixers game one goes in Philly on Saturday. You can hear it right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Al, when it comes to the ability that the Raptors have to throw so many different bodies, let alone so many different looks at Embiid, how much do you think that will impact uh, how Nick Nurse utilizes those players and his second unit? Because he certainly uh, has leaned on the starters all season, and I'm fine with that. But as we've seen now for a couple of months, he's getting or he was getting more and more return from Chris Boucher, Precious Achua, Kem Birch, Thaddeus Young. And I'm going to assume you're going to need and want all of those guys. So how much do you think uh, Nurse will lean on the second unit and play that shell game a little bit more than perhaps he did for long stretches during the regular season? I think it's going to depend. I think it's one of those things where a lot of times in the playoffs you see the bench and the rotation shorten up. And, you know, we've seen Nick Nurse be, be, be very comfortable with, you know, a shorter lineup, uh, you know, just just five, six, seven guys. Um, fortunately enough, a lot of the guys, Chris Boucher and Pressures, those guys really stepped up and, and provided a lot. Chris on the defensive side and then even the offensive side with the offensive rebounding and just that activity 
and we've seen Precious Achua expand his game to hitting threes. And more so than just hitting those threes, he became a better decision maker. He he wasn't forcing as much. He wasn't he wasn't doing some of the things that made you cringe a little bit, at least me, when he's bringing the ball down the floor and trying to force things or, you know, he had one or two of those type of situations. But now he's making good decisions, whether he's flipping up early, getting it back, knocking down a jump shot. But those guys have stepped up big time, you know, closing the season. But I think at the end of the day, they're going to have to be ready because there may be situations where they won't play as much. So that it's always about the next game. So can you still provide what the team is going to need you to provide? And I think for the most part, it's going to be that defensive proudness on on Embiid. It's going to be who can switch out and guard James Harden man-to-man and not let him get fouls near the basket and still stay in front of him and use your strength because James Harden usually does that, right? He gets those smaller matchups, get to the free-throw line and use his strength. But the Raptors, once again, they have guys that are long, they're strong, and not going to give up that foul. They're going to contest you at the rim. So I think the biggest part is whoever can come in, whoever Nick Nurse chooses to opt, opt to go with, they have to be on that off on the defensive side, being able to guard their men and guard others. Al, here's a philosophical question for you. Um, Al? Yeah, we got you, mm-hmm. Jones. Go ahead. Hello? You. You know what? I think Hello? we're having, you know, Al, I think we're having some technical issues on Jonesy's end, so we're going to get him back into the conversation in a second uh, as we're speaking with Alvin Williams. I'll keep it going here, Al. Um, from a Raptors perspective, okay. getting set for game one and starting on the road, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, Al, because of how well the Raptors played on the road this season, but also I don't know how much history plays into. Um, you know, each and every year. But, Al, what's one of the big talking points year after year, postseason after postseason? Toronto has historically, traditionally struggled with that first game, especially when it's been on their home floor. Yeah, I mean, traditionally, that's 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 the narrative. But it, it really, honestly, it doesn't make a difference, man. I think yeah. this Raptors team is a team you got to come out and play the game. And each and every game – you have to come out with the same type of focus, the same type of intent. Now, you know, the game will change, and the, the, the way the game goes, you have to make adjustment and all that. But your intent, your focus, your discipline, all of those things have to be in, in check from game one to game seven, right? If, if, if those things aren't there, no matter how much you execute and how well you play individually, if you don't have that intent, and that thing is a team that you're supposed to have, then you're always going to struggle. So I think the biggest, the biggest thing is the Raptors being on the road, you get a chance to really focus. You know you have to come in. You have to bring it. If you don't bring it, then you're going to find yourself struggling to get back in the game from beginning to end. So I, I really don't think it makes a difference for what, what the tradition has been in the past. But um, I remember the year they won the championship, right, 2019. They lost their first game to the Orlando Magic. DJ Augustine went crazy. So, you know, bounce back from that, and then and then you move forward. So I think every game is different, and you have to approach it as such. Uh, Al, you know, we talk about the series and the moves and uh, the chess pieces and the, the coaches matching wits. How long do you stay with something? Like Nick Nurse has obviously developed a game plan for game one. 
there's some flexibility within it, depending on what Philadelphia does. And the same on the other side. You know, uh, you know, there's this narrative out there that, you know, Doc Rivers kind of got lucky when he was coaching Boston. Well, he had good talent, but you, you, you still have to manage it in order to win. And, and I'll say this, uh, the coaching matchup is, is one that I'm looking forward to. But how long do you stay with something you think will work, Al? If, even if it doesn't work initially right away, do you, do you quickly say, okay, damn, it's, it, that ain't working. Let's go to plan B. It's kind of like football. Like if you're, if you're a running team and you get down like 21 nothing, do you abandon the run and start to throw? Do you, do you change your personality? Because Eric and I have talked about this. Or, no, do you run pass it a little more but keep running the ball? Like, how long do t- coaches stay with something they feel will work and meets the personality of their team before, you know, as Thad Young says, you, you crack and things have to change? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it depends on the coach and their philosophy. But, you know, for me... I think you re- you go with what you trust. You go with what you believe. And then it's, at the end of the day, it's a feel as well. You, what do you feel? Because sometimes, man, it's, it's like we, we've worked on this. We've worked on this. This is who we are. And it's just not clicking. So now I, got, I feel something different. I feel an urge. And that may work. One possession, two possessions, right? And then it's like, all right, let's stick with it. The one thing I think Nick Nurse does really well is he just switches it up. He doesn't stay with one thing too long. Right, whether even even if it's working, right, working, even if yeah, something's yeah. working, it's worked like for for the, for five or ten straight possessions. All right, let's just give him a different look, and then let's get back to it because I know I got that in my back pocket. That's going to work. That's our bread and butter. So I think at the end of the day, you have your personality, you have your identity, but you also have to have that feel. And then you just like it's a chess move. Let's throw this out there, see how they react because you know what, game two, we can feed off of that. And then bait them into doing something. So there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of strategizing. But to your point, how long do you stay with something? I think it's really all a feel because the, you can tell by the body language, you can tell the way the whistle blows, you can tell the way the the moment of the game or the the time of the game when certain things are going to work. So I think that that's the piece where people don't really take into account how the coaches have to really evaluate and how they go about putting game plans together. It's a lot of elements behind that. There's a lot of variables that can change things. So um, I think it's all about the feel. And then really what what do you really trust as a coach and, and what, how can you present it to make the players go out there and execute to the best of their ability? Al, before we go here, you ready to throw out a uh, prediction for us? Yeah, Raptors are five. What, what, what I mean, I mean, Damn, five. Five. Okay. Yeah. All I'm right. Not, I'm, not, I'm trying. I'm trying to get out of Philadelphia as fast as possible, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> a, I'm gonna give Sixers. I'm gonna give the Sixers one. So, I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking at five. I'm looking at a, five, man. So a gentleman sweep. Dang, Al. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm going with man. I, I think honestly, the only the only uncertain, you know, players being like everyone for the Raptors for me is that. Is Pascal ready to do it? Yes, for sure. Be that guy in the playoffs. Is Scotty the rookie? Is he ready for that? I believe he is because to me, the younger players in this generation, they don't have that fear. No. I think the yeah. ignorance is blitz, blitz. They, 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 they're ready for it. They played in so many games prior to this, whether it's AAU nationals and all. Like these guys look at the NBA as another step. 
So I don't think yeah. they had that anxiety or that pressure. So I believe I believe the players are ready to and, and really prove themselves. Talking about Gary Trent, this is an opportunity for him to earn his bones. And I know his dad is in his ear letting him know everything that goes behind this. So I, I think it's a great, great opportunity. And I think the Raptors are going to come out and surprise a lot of people. I know here in Philadelphia – they're really thinking that it's going to be an easy walk for the Sixers. And I'm like, obviously, you guys haven't watched Toronto Raptors this year. Join, join the rest of the country, Al, because I don't think a lot of people exactly. have watched. And, and you are right, Al. These young guys are bold. They, it ain't nothing to them to be in a big game. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I used to think back, right, and I know you guys got to go, but I'm like, these guys don't even look like they're phased by walking in an in a NBA locker room. Like, I just remember seeing my jersey, and the first time I saw it hung up in Portland, I was like, wow. Like, I just got butterflies for that. These young guys, they're like, all right, I knew I was going to be here. I expect to be in the NBA. And guess what? I've been told I'm going to be in the NBA, and I'm here. There's nothing that I'm not already expecting. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing for these moments because it's not going to be too big for them, and they're ready to execute, and they're ready to get down. Uh, we appreciate the time, as always, man. We'll look forward to uh... – uh, seeing you, hearing you, and uh, watching you throughout the series. All the best, man. Thanks, guys. See you soon. All right, Al. There is uh, right. Alvin Williams, and uh, it's not Alvin Williams Wednesdays. It's Philly-born Fridays as we get set for the Raptors and Sixers in Philly. Game one on Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern tip-off right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, we're going to step aside for a moment, come back, briefly shift our attention over to the Toronto Blue Jays before some more NBA and Raptor chat later on in the show. Jamie Campbell up next on uh, Smith and Jones. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please download, rate, review, share, all that good stuff as the Raptors get set for game one on Saturday against the 76ers. You can hear it right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan coming up this evening in just over an hour. It's the Blue Jays and A's from Rogers Center. Of course, see it on Sportsnet. Listen to it right here on the fan as well. And uh, joining us on the line to talk about this next series for Toronto as they try to bounce back from their loss yesterday against the Yankees. Host of the Toronto Blue Jays baseball and Sportsnet, Blue Jays Central, Jamie Campbell. Jamie, how are you today? I'm well, Eric and Jonesy. Good to hear from you guys. Always great to yeah, have great you on, to, Jamie. Yeah, great great to talk to you, Jamie. And listen, before we, we get to the Blue Jays or anything else, and, and what, what I do know of you, Jamie, I'm going to assume you don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we'll spend as much time as you want. How are you and how has this season been for you, this start to the season? Uh, you know, I know you're battling some stuff away from the field and away from the microphone, but the support you've got from all the Blue Jay fans and your colleagues and whatnot and, and of course, family and friends and everybody else and just trying to, to, to power through uh, as best as possible. Well, you're very gracious, Eric, and uh, the support of you two and everybody else that I've heard from in the last uh, couple of weeks has... Uh been incredible uh and anybody else who's had to deal with cancer knows that when you have support you have a real fighting chance and i must say and i know a lot of people who watch baseball listen to baseball pay attention to baseball and love baseball um rely on it every day as their partner as their friend as the one thing that they know they can access on the radio on the television or on their mobile device and to be honest with you the 
the coming of the season has been a um, a wonderful, wonderful distraction for me because I spent a good part of the winter trying to figure out where my future lies, having to deal with leukemia. And luckily, I live in an era where the treatment for my kind of leukemia is very, very good. So I began that treatment uh, just short of two weeks ago. I feel um, so much better today than I did two weeks ago. And uh, I'm hopeful and certainly taking advantage of every God-given moment that I have at this point. So thank you both for uh, for caring as much as you do. Uh, pulling for you, Jamie, and, and you know that we're always here. And uh, and, and if you need anything, uh, we're at the end of a text line, phone call, or whatever. So I, we're, we're, we're both really pulling for you. And it's great to see you back in the chair, James, and, 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 and watching this team that much is expected of this year. You know, Vladdy's comment about you, the trailer and the movie. Um, <laughs> Um, but in every movie, there's a part where you kind of think it might go either way. Um, what's going what's gonna to fuel, I wouldn't even say doubt, what's going to make people raise an eyebrow this year with this team, be it, be it either good or bad, something like, oh, we didn't see that coming? Hmm. Well, you know, this sport is fascinating in that even a week into the season, people can um, can air their concern. And if you follow some of the people that I do on social media, just pay attention to what the fan base seems to be saying, there is a degree of panic in a 4-3 and three start. I don't necessarily understand it because anybody who watches this game and this sport knows that 162 is a long, long year. And there are going to be peaks and there are going to be valleys, um, you know, much like our lives in general. Um, what I think the Blue Jays can do is I have no doubt in my mind based on roster composition, and I don't think anybody else would disagree with me here, that this is a top five, top ten team in baseball. And by that virtue, should be a playoff team when October rolls around. But what we saw in that New York series was a scenario whereby Teoscar Hernandez uh, felt a little bit of a twinge in his oblique. He may have aggravated it by staying in for one more swing. And I always caution people, you can put together the greatest baseball team in the world with all-stars at every position. But if those all-stars can make it through the majority of the season and you don't have all-stars to replace them, then, you know, you're, you're not as good as you should be on paper. So, in my estimation, the only thing that can really, truly derail this club from getting to the postseason at the end of the year are significant injuries to significant players. So how they overcome those injuries is, um, is the job of not only Charlie Montoya, but the front office as well. Speaking with Jamie Campbell, Jamie, so, so you add uh, Hernandez to the list alongside uh, Danny Jansen, who's banged up, Ryan Barucki, Nate Pearson. I, I, I suppose... You know, I know this sounds a little bit cliche, but I suppose it's better that it's coming now in the first, you know, seven <laughs> to ten days of the season as opposed to seven to ten weeks into the mm-hmm. season. Uh, and I guess you look at the division, too, over the course of the first week. You know, you got a whole bunch of teams sitting at four and three, so it's not like somebody's already starting to try and run away with this thing. And it's just kind of been sort of nip and tuck up and down so far for almost everybody to start the season, is it not? Yeah, it's exactly the way it should be. And, and look... I heard somebody say, and, and quite accurately, they won that series against Texas here at home last week. They took two of three. And 
with no disrespect to the Texas Rangers, that's a series you should probably win. Well, the other idea was that you go in and play a very good playoff caliber team like the Yankees, at best you split. And that's exactly what they did. A three out of four or a sweep would have been wonderful. But if you can play the teams that are going to be just as tough as you are and split the way they did, that's not a bad deal at all. This Oakland team, and I need to give them credit, they just came in to Tropicana Field in Tampa Bay and took three of four, and they're the second highest scoring team in Major League Baseball right now. But this is a team that doesn't, you know, has, has essentially unloaded all of its star players prior to the year. Matt Olson went to Atlanta. Matt Chapman came here. They traded basically their entire pitching staff. And so this is, by rights, a team that you should you should win a series from. You should take two of three at at, at the at the very least. So um, the early season is funny. Remember, the Blue Jays were a 500 team at the end of April last year, and they missed the playoffs by that much. So. You need to take April just as seriously as you take September. So, you know, the, the losses when they do pile up, and especially those ones that are are, are, are what appear to be victories um, that turn into losses, and I think we saw one on Sunday against Texas when Hyunjin Ryu started, those hurt in the end. Uh, I think we figured that out last year when everybody was sitting around here watching the scoreboard hoping that, you know, either – the Tampa Bay Rays or the Washington Nationals would win their final game of the season. Yeah, yeah. Jamie, we say it in hoops all the time. That game that you're dying for is at the end of the year is the one that you gave away in the second, first, or second week. Um, I, I, I'm looking at the upgrades that have been made, Jamie, for this team this year. What, what mm. in your eyes, do you see as the most significant ones that will probably bear fruit? You know, should we see a postseason appearance? I think the most significant one at this point was the guy who started the game last night in New York, Kevin Gosman. And he was terrific. Uh, And I turned to Joe at one point and said, as much as he's losing uh, the ball game, he's, he's the better of the two starting pitchers in this game. And and, and his, his, you know, his fastball changeup and then that nasty splitter that he throws, that combination was baffling to the top hitters in the Yankee lineup last night. So I think long-term, what a wonderful addition he is, considering the guy he's essentially replacing, Robbie Ray, who won the Cy Young Award, went off to Seattle. And, and you you know, you know, can't afford to lose a guy like Ray and not fill in that position appropriately. So I find him to be the most significant addition. Um, you know, now that we've, we've seen Tay Oscar have to go on to the IL, it's it's heartwarming to know that Matt Chapman has come over. I mean, I know there are a lot of people that think he's – all glove and no hit, but he has had some great years at the plate in his major league career. So they've moved him up to the five hole tonight to hit behind Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And, and that's just a different look than what we were accustomed to at third base the last two or three years. So um, to answer your question, I, I think Gosman is the most significant addition that this team has made in the offseason. Speaking with Jamie Campbell, getting set for coverage on Sportsnet starting in uh, just under an hour. Pre-game show at uh, 6.30, I guess 40 minutes from now. We're going to have to let him go in a couple minutes here. Make sure he gets ready, gets that, get that makeup on and get ready for TV here. Uh, Jamie, how much will we see of Kevin Biggio in Teoscar Hernandez's absence? I know there are other options, but mm-hmm. do you think we see Biggio in the outfield a little bit more and see him perhaps more regularly than others? That's possible, but they, you know, they did bring over Bradley Zimmer from Cleveland. Um, 
you know, after they uh, DFA'd Josh Palacios, who got picked up by the Nationals today. I'm not sure you're going to see Biggio in the outfield as much as you're going to see him doing, for example, what he's doing tonight. He's playing first base, batting ninth, so that Vladdy gets off his, his feet. And Guerrero is still in his customary three spot, but he'll be DHing. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the benefit of having a guy like Biggio on this club. I know he has his detractors, but, boy, he can play pretty well anywhere, um, you know, other than putting on the catcher's gear and going behind the dish. So first base tonight, um, you know, second base when called upon, he could be a, a he could make a start or two in the outfield in place of of Teoscar at some point, I'm sure. But I think with with a healthy George Springer, uh, Tapia coming over from Colorado, I think they have the people that they want now in place on this big league roster uh, to man those outfield positions. Jamie, we appreciate the time today. Enjoy the game tonight and uh, stay strong. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Great to speak with you both. Be well. Thanks, Jamie. You too, man. There is Jamie Campbell, uh, Blue Jay Central, uh, coming up at 6.30 on Sportsnet. First pitch just after 7 o'clock, and you can hear it, of course, with Ben Wagner on Sportsnet 590, the fan, the Jays and A's, Jeffries for Oakland, and Stripling, Ross Stripling for the Jays, as Toronto will look to get back on the winning track. Uh, looked like they were trying to make a game of it last night, down three zip to the Yanks. Loaded the bases in the ninth with none out, and unfortunately walked away with nothing. Got shut out, and they sit at four and three, getting set for this tilt tonight, the first uh, of the series at Rogers Center. And I tell you, Jonesy, it's maybe good, uh, maybe good that the Raptors are opening uh, on the road in Philadelphia because it is going to be an absolute gong show uh, downtown oh. tomorrow. Now I know, I know the, uh, the 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 Leafs are on the road as well. Um, but Leafs playing the Senators, Raptors playing the Sixers, if I'm not mistaken, FC's in action as well, plus you got the Blue Jay game going on. I mean, it is going to be wild, like a sports got, nirvana. <laughs> uh, got to love it. Got to love it. And he, I would be remiss if I didn't say anything today. April 15th, uh, a day that stands big in baseball when Jackie Robinson broke the color mm -hmm. line. Uh, somewhere up there, my late father has a scotch and is knocking glasses with people because he has always been a Dodger fan, and he was an original Brooklyn Dodger fan for exactly that reason. Branch Rickey and the Brooklyn Dodgers giving Jackie Robinson, who played his minor league ball in Montreal, mm -hmm. a chance. And, and Jackie wasn't necessarily the best player, but he was the right guy to break in. And uh, I just think that... You know, I, I put it out on Twitter today, Jackie Robinson breaking the color line in baseball when it was, you know, the great American pastime, changed the face of team sports around the world forever. I, I, I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, we had, we had black athletes that were great individually, Jesse Owens, Joe Lewis, but when, you, when Jackie broke the color line in a team sport, it, it 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 made a it made a huge difference, and you know we're going to have a guy on in the next hour, Dwayne Casey, and I'm going to check with Case. I think he might have been only the fourth or fifth player at the time, black player at the time to play at the University of Kentucky, who was who might have been the last school to to fully integrate in the SEC when it came to basketball. So, like Jackie Robinson doing that, like stepping across the line, the color line like that. It changed everything. It, 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 in my eyes, it changed the world of sports. 
And every player on the Blue Jays roster, every player in baseball, of course, tonight in honor of Jackie Robinson, the 70th anniversary tonight, will be wearing number 42 uh, uh, again across baseball tonight. And Jonesy, just quick a little shout out. I know you've seen it, uh, and I imagine sports fans, sports listeners that are tuned into this show to this station will have already seen it anyways. But if you haven't, the 2013 film, and I can't believe it's been out for almost 10 years, but the 2013 film starring the late, great Chadwick Boseman uh, as Jackie Robinson, Harrison Ford played Branch Rickey. Uh, go check out 42. If you have not seen the movie 42, do yourself a favor. Go watch it and watch it with your kids as well because uh, it's uh, not only a fine film but historically great. Uh, for teaching, especially with young people that didn't live through that time. Uh, again, 42 being worn by all players across baseball tonight. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well.